Well, I want to welcome you again to Door Creek Online. Good to have you with us today, wherever you're joining us from. Great to be together, even though we're not. So how are you doing during this pandemic? I've been thinking about seven months in. I don't even know how many weeks it's been, but it's a lot, getting close to 30. And I'm wondering if you could change one thing about the pandemic right now. I know a quick a cure, a vaccine, those would be the givens. But outside of that, if you could change one thing about the pandemic right now, what, what would you want to change? And then if you think about a more personal question and you think about how the pandemic is kind of changing you and you think about the things that you want to change about you in the midst of the pandemic, that the pandemic is kind of shining the spotlight on, like uh, there's been a little bit more anger, maybe a little bit more anxiety, a little bit more fear, a little bit more discouragement, a little bit more riding the roller coaster of emotions and loneliness and on and on it goes. I wonder if you're clued into something that you'd like to change about you. I mean, it's not the first time, right, that we've wanted to change things about ourselves. Apparently, we must not be very good at it because we quickly give up on that and figure out maybe we'll have a better chance of changing somebody else. And so we like to uh, kind of mess with people. We'd like to see them change, usually for our own good. That, you've never done that, I'm sure. Uh, a close friend, a family member, a child, a parent, a fiancé, a spouse, right? It's easy. It's easy to want to do that. Well, today, as we get into John chapter 3, we find out that the Bible wants to talk to us about radical change, change that it's the root. It's, it's more than a renovation, it's more than a remodel. It's so radical that when Jesus talks about this transformation, he uses language of a second birth, a spiritual birth. He uses the language of born again. And he uses this language with a guy named Nicodemus that we read about in John chapter 3. So grab your Bibles, everyone, and uh, pull out your message notes if you like to do that. And let's dig into John chapter 3, where we meet a guy named Nicodemus. We've just been in chapter 2. There's been a group of people that uh, rejected Jesus, the religious leaders, to be true. And then there was a group of people that saw Jesus do a bunch of miracles around the Passover feast, that seven-day feast, Passover, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. And they were enamored with his miracles. They kind of liked this idea of a Jesus who's like a genie in a bottle kind of savior. Enamored with his miracles, not so much with his words and with his mission. They weren't so keen about recognizing him as the Messiah, the Son of God, who would give his life on a cross, a suffering servant. Not so great about that. And perhaps as we meet Nicodemus... Perhaps he kind of fits into that mold. At least he thinks he's in a good place. And the scary thing about the group at the end of chapter 2 is they say that they believe in Jesus. And Jesus says, well, I know your heart and I know the object of your faith and it's misplaced. It's not the real deal. You want me to be your personal like ATM, pull you out of a jam, genie in a bottle kind of savior. But that's not who I am. So we meet this guy named Nicodemus. And we wonder where he's at. There was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. That would be the Sanhedrin. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, 
We know that you are a teacher who's come from God. He's speaking about some of the other religious leaders. For no one could perform the signs, the miracles you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, truly, truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. There it is. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time in their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You're, a, you're Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. We're going to talk about the necessity of new life. And we're going to talk about the source and how it is that we receive this new life, this second birth, this spiritual birth, this being born again that Jesus talks about. Here's what we know about Nicodemus. He was a Pharisee. That means, guys, he was a very outstanding man in society. He was very religious. As a Pharisee, that word means he was a separated one. Separate in what way? From all the others in such a way that there is a extreme devotion to the word of God. Not just to know it, but to live it. All 613 commands that are given in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy. He knew them all. And not only did he know that, but he knew the Mishnah who explained what it means to keep the law and put up other laws so that they wouldn't get close to breaking that law. And he knew the Talmud that, in, that interpreted the Mishnah that kept you away from the law. I mean, this guy was immersed. In fact, when he became a Pharisee and entered in that brotherhood, at his day, there was probably 6,000. He swore a pledge, a pledge that he would spend his life observing every minute detail of the law. This is a good man. This was a church man. He's watching me now. He's here right now, this Nicodemus. You'd want Nick as your neighbor. His family, they were great people. They were following the law to the letter. You wanted to be around Nicodemus and his family. He wasn't just a Pharisee, though. He was a member of the Supreme Court, if you will. This ruling council, the Sanhedrin, made of 70 of the the creme de la creme of the religious leadership. Some of them were Sadducees, some of them were the Pharisees. So he's in this elite branch, very successful, a man of great wealth, able to bring 75 pounds of spices to help Joseph of Arimathea later on in the story in chapter 19, bring those spices to give Jesus a proper burial. Yeah, he was quite a guy. And that night we find out he's not, 
He's not trying to pick a fight. He's curious. He comes to Jesus at night to have an extended conversation. He's been watching him. He's been listening to him. He is seeing what he's doing. And his conclusion about Jesus is quite simple. I know, we know that you're a good teacher. And we've seen your signs and we know that nobody could do the miracles that you're doing unless you've got a really close connection with God. So my guess is you're a prophet like the Old Testament prophets and you've come here. And that's how he saw Jesus as a good teacher that has some kind of association with God and heaven. He didn't yet understand who Jesus was. Jesus is clear though about who Nick is. Now he's a good religious man to be sure. But he's duped into thinking that he's in a place that he actually is not. Here's what we can learn about Nicodemus in this section. That he was a good man who was lost. Though he was certain he was not lost. That he was in the center of God's will. And he was found. And he knew exactly where he was. No, he was lost. He was a theological insider. Man, you could do Bible trivia with, with this guy, Nicodemus. And you would never win that game. Because he knew the scriptures backwards and forwards. So he just oozed the Bible, the Old Testament. He was a theological insider, but he was an outsider to God. He wasn't in relationship with God. Not only that, he was this powerful man, right? Part of the ruling power party, the Sanhedrin. But he was a foreigner to God's transforming power. He was not yet born again by the Spirit of God. He was a powerful man, right? We talked about that. He was also a rich man who was spiritually poor. So he was wealthy, but he was spiritually poor. Not only that, he was a proud man with a high view of himself, but a low view of Jesus. And at the end of the day, here's what we know. This moral man this is a man who was condemned. He stood condemned before a holy God. He was a dead man needing new life, not just a makeover. This is Nicodemus. And this is like, we got to just catch up and go, well, man, is this me? Because, you know, he's a guy who's in the center of church life. He was respected by everyone, not just in the synagogue, but everyone in society. He appeared to be the real deal. But Jesus says, actually, uh, you're not. You're not. And so he talks to him, not about being condemned. He could have started quoting some of the things that John will talk about in verses 18 through 20, that he's condemned because he doesn't yet believe. He's trusting in his good works, not in the Son of God and what he was about to do. On the cross for him. He loved darkness over light. He could have said that. That your deeds were evil. But that's not where Jesus went. In his conversation with a good man. Who didn't understand his true condition. Now in verse 17 we'll read that. God sent Jesus into this world. Not to condemn the world. But to save the world. In chapter 1 and verse 14. John says that the word became flesh and we beheld his glory, glory of the only begotten son, full of grace and truth. And so it's just beautiful to see how Jesus moves towards this proud, religious, morally upright man. And what he does is he needles his assumptions. His assumptions are, I'm doing the work. 
I'm a good guy. I know the law. I'm doing everything I can to, to keep the law. And I'm teaching the law so that everybody else can do the same. I'm trying to be a good person. When I was a youth pastor, we used to go out and train our students to share their faith. And there was a couple of questions that we used. One of them was this. If you were to die tonight in a car accident, stand before God at the gate of heaven, and he were to ask you, why should I let you in? What would you say? Time and time again, the answer was, well, I try to be a good person. I mean, I'm not saying I'm perfect, but I try to keep the commandments. I try to pe treat people well. And, you know, I, I, I try to be a good person. That, that's where Nick is. I'm doing the work. I'm following the commands. I'm teaching them. I'm, I'm doing what we might say. Going to church, serving, giving, following the Bible. I'm good, right? Well, I guess it's right if we believe that sleeping in the garage tonight makes us a car. Jesus says you're missing something. You're thinking... You, you get a ticket, that you have a passport to get you into heaven. No, actually, you need a birth certificate. No one gets a passport to heaven. What's a passport? Well, it's, it identifies who I am, where I'm from. Don't have much to do about that. But I apply for that, right? I apply for it. And there's a fee. I pay for that. And then I bring it, and I present it, and it gets me entrance to where I'm going. It's connected with what I do. Birth certificate, I mean, I might go ask for a copy, but I have nothing to do with my birth. I just showed up, and somebody recorded it. It's a birth certificate, not a passport. Jesus says good works is not the way in. you got to be born again. Yeah, flesh gives birth to flesh. We are amazed at the miracle of newborn life. But he says flesh can't do new spiritual life. Can't do that. It's a mystery, just like the wind, we see its effect. And Nick says, I don't get it. How can this be, Jesus? How can this be? Jesus, Nick, you're a teacher of Israel. You like, no, you're steeped in the Old Testament scriptures. What do you mean, how can this be? Don't you remember the prophets when they talked about the new covenant, new hearts in Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36? Here's God speaking, the prophet recording, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Now we're going to hear some of the exact language of John chapter 3 that Jesus is picking up on because he's thinking about Ezekiel 36. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone, that hard-hearted, not receptive to God's work in our life, and give you a soft heart, a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep, to obey my laws. And Jesus goes on to say, you should have believed my testimony. I've been telling you about earthly things, about what God wants to do to your life here on earth and giving you new spiritual life. You don't believe that. How in the world are you going to receive heavenly things when I talk about the greater things of what God is still going to do? And speaking of heavenly things, I know something about heaven because I came from heaven. No one else has come from heaven. I have unique credentials. That's my home. That's my address. That's where I come from. I can talk to you about heavenly things. 
And so in verse 14, he ties a connection to the prophets who talked about this coming Savior being the Son of Man. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, a title Jesus often uses to describe who he is, just claiming this messianic title, that he is the promised Savior that God has talked about through the ages that the people of God have been waiting for. And I must be lifted up in the same way that Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. He's talking about the story in Numbers 21. When God's people were rebelling against God, he was leading them miraculously out of Egypt. It was unbelievable. He was taking care of their daily needs. There was bread from heaven, manna, and there was quail when they got tired of manna burgers and all the things that you could make with manna. And then they're, they're grumbling and they're complaining and they hate the food and they're saying, God, you just, you're no good. You're not a good God. You're not a faithful God. You said you're gonna lead us to a land full of milk and honey. Where is that land of abundance? Here we are in the middle of nowhere and you're just probably just wanting us to die here in the middle of nowhere and so God comes down in judgment and there's these venomous snakes that start to bite people and they die and the people confess their sin and they cry out to Moses Moses please pray to God that he'd take the snakes away God doesn't take the snakes away but what he does is he tells Moses, here's what I want you to do. I want you to cast out of bronze a snake. I want you to put it up, fasten it up on a pole. You tell the people, when they get bit by this venomous snake, you look up. You take me at my word. In faith, you trust me right now that that will save you. Not that serpent, but your faith in me. Faith was the only cure for the deadly snake bite and death. Look and live. And what Jesus is saying is, I'm going to be lifted up like the serpent in the wilderness. And if you look on me with faith, you will be saved. I'm going to save you from death through my death, lifted on a cross. I'm going to make new life possible because when you look to me with faith, you will live. You will move from being dead to alive. So Jesus is making the case to a good, moral, church-going Nicodemus. And all of us like him. Why he needs new life. You're condemned because you haven't believed. You don't recognize who I am. You see me as a good teacher. You need to be born again. So Jesus' diagnosis for Nicodemus and anyone like Nicodemus who has not placed their trust in Christ is strong. But it sets up the cure, the good news, the source of new life and how we receive it. There's this fantastic verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 through 19. Anyone who belongs to Christ is a new person. Now get this. He's talking about this new life, this being born again. The past is forgotten. Do you like that? Your past is forgotten. Whoops, I don't think, oh, there it goes, magic pen. Your past is forgotten. And everything, not most things, everything is new. Man, does that, just hold on here. Does that sound like good news? We were trying to forget our past. In God's forgiveness, God is telling us that our past is 
forgotten. Because Jesus dealt with our past on the cross. God has done it all. This becoming a new person. It wasn't like a partnership. All right, I'm going to do a little work. In fact, I'm going to do a lot of work, but I need to do some work. Or you know what? I'm tired of doing all this work. You need to do all the work, Mark. No, it's not that. It's not us. It's not a partnership. It's all, all, it's all God. He sent Christ to make peace between himself and us. And he has given us the work of making peace between himself and others. I mean, this is unbelievable. This is the good news. This is the good news of God's love for us in Christ so that we can be forgiven and made new. God has done it all. And what we have in John chapter 3 is these repeated references to the Father, to the Son, and the Holy Spirit in this order. Verses 5 through 8. It's all about the Holy Spirit who makes us new. Paul will talk about how it's the Holy Spirit that applies the work of Christ to our hearts, whereby we are forgiven and cleansed, whereby we become alive in Christ, new creation. And the only reason that the Holy Spirit can do that is because God's Son, Jesus Christ, came to this earth to be lifted up and to die so that we could live. And the only reason that Jesus Christ came is because verse 16 tells us that God loved the world. He loved the world. You know, sometimes people think that Jesus came to change God's mind. Let's look at this slide. Jesus didn't come to change God's mind, but to express God's mind. Sometimes we could think like God is capricious, he's short-tempered, And he's just all about judgment and fury and fire and holiness. And God is just and he is perfectly holy. But welded to his holiness and justice is his infinite, eternal, unconditional love. Jesus didn't come to earth to change God's mind because verse 17 said he came to save the world, not to condemn the world. Because our father God the Father is a God who loves you. He's a God who loves me. He's a God who is willing to give up his own son, his unique son, that we might find life. Look at this classic verse, maybe the first verse that some of us memorize, perhaps the most memorized verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world, verse 16, that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. God's love, everybody, anybody, including his enemies. The father in his love sent Jesus. Jesus in his love sacrificed himself for us and he sent the spirit to indwell us and make us new to forgive us and to empower us to live for him, life in him. Not just eternal life in the future, but eternal life today. And John said, I wrote these things that you might believe, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, so that in believing, you might have life. That's what he's talking about. Life that, that comes all God's doing. What he's calling us to do is to receive the gift. So what does it mean to receive this gift of new life? 
Well, we receive it by faith. Paul makes this very clear in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith. Grace is God's unmerited, undeserved favor. And that, your salvation and even your faith, is not of yourselves. In fact, the Bible talks about faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Even our faith to put in Christ comes from God. That's not of yourselves, your salvation, your faith. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. No one. You can't work your way into this. You can't believe for someone else. Each Israelite had to look up to the bronze serpent fastened to the pole if they were to live. We have to individually trust in Christ as our Savior, acknowledging our need, believing that when he was lifted up on the cross that he died in our place and his sacrifice was acceptable because God raised him from the dead. So Jesus, in effect, without asking the question outright, explicitly is saying to Nicodemus, so you were wondering about are you in or out? Will you see the kingdom? Will you enjoy resurrection life? Well, then you need to ask, answer the question, are you born again? And that's the question for us. Have you experienced, are you experiencing the transforming power of God in you, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, his Holy Spirit that has given you now a heartbeat spiritually? How do you know? How do you know you're born again? How do you know you've been receiving this transformational new life power well here's how you know that all your trust is all on jesus it's not like well you know what i'm gonna do the jesus thing but i'm gonna work like really hard to make sure if that's not enough i got it covered no jesus plus anything is nothing but it's a fundamental understanding that Jesus is everything. And so all my trust, the little trust I have, the little faith that I have that's growing, it's all on Jesus. His life, his death, his resurrection, not my good works. That's a sign of being born again. That you've experienced the forgiveness of God. Your guilt has been removed. It doesn't mean that you've never experienced guilt again. It doesn't mean that the enemy won't COD, bring it back for you to noodle on. But we know what to do and we know who's already paid for it. Christ on the cross. Guilt removed, impurities cleansed, washed away, born again. A new heart with new desires where you actually long for God. You live for God. You want to hear his word. You want to live under his authority in every area of your lives, born again. The Holy Spirit guiding you, comforting you, continually chipping away that everything that isn't Jesus in us so that more and more we look and act and think and behave like Jesus Christ. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, all that growing in our lives. Born again. You have life with God today, abundant. And the hope of eternal life with God in the new heaven and the new earth. John is saying to his readers, and he's saying to us, have you found this new life not in your good works, but through faith in Christ. I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now, and I'm going to lead us in prayer. I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray this prayer. There's nothing magical about a prayer. 
But the Bible is clear. If we declare or confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, well, that is saving faith. And so I'm going to give you an opportunity. And if this prayer resonates with your heart's desire right now, then I'm going to ask you in a moment to silently pray along with me. Here's the prayer. Dear God, thank you for showing me my need for Jesus. Jesus, I believe you are God's one and only son sent from heaven to rescue me from the judgment I deserved. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. With my trust fully on you, give me new life, wash me clean, and strengthen me to live for you, pointing others to you. Let's pray. Father God, we know according to your word that one of the ways you bring people to faith is through the hearing of your word. And your word is alive and your spirit is always using the word to give us new life. And so I pray that even as people are hearing your word explained from John chapter 3, that they would find new spiritual life in you. And for those of us who maybe thought we had spiritual life in you, but maybe are wondering again if our confidence has only been in what we're doing for you and not what you have fundamentally done for us, Lord Jesus, on the cross. We pray that you would realign our faith, that it would be genuine, true faith, and that our hearts would be gripped with your love and a desire to tell others about you. So Lord, hear our prayer, even as some of us silently pray this prayer. Dear God, thank you for showing me my need for Jesus. Jesus, I believe you are God's one and only Son, sent from heaven to rescue me from the judgment I deserved. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. With my trust fully on you, give me new life, wash me clean. And strengthen me to live for you, pointing others to you. In Jesus' name, amen. And so, hey, if you prayed that prayer, man, I'd love to just follow up with you and encourage you in your new relationship with God through Christ. Easy way to do that, doorcreek.info. Get to the Connect tab. Just fill out that card. Send it in electronically. And we'd love to connect you with some resources and encouragement. Thanks again. Have a great day.